Genealogy Adventures family. This is Brian Sheffy. And this is Danya. Can you guys hear me? I look like I'm frozen. No, I can hear you just fine, cousin. Okay, I'm, I look frozen, but what's up? What's up? <laughs> so, as always, we both hope that you're having a great Sunday. Thank you for sharing part of your Sunday with us. And we hope you're going to get a lot out of today's show, which is all about lineage societies, poorly documented ancestors, and ways in which uh, heritage societies and lineage societies can possibly work with DNA. Um, for those of us who have document-challenged ancestors. Right. So when I say things like document-challenged ancestors or poorly documented, roughly if, um, what John and I are going to be speaking about are three different groups of people. So either ancestors who were enslaved, and obviously we, um, those of us who are researching our enslaved ancestors know how tricky it can be to find documentation for them, free people of color, who face their own kind of documental challenges. And the third group will be ancestors who were European. They could have been indentured servants or just very, very poor, moved to a very rural place, may or may not have been able to read and write. And again, left, um, either didn't leave much of a paper trail or left no paper trail whatsoever. So right. those are the three kind of broad groups that I'm talking about. I don't think I missed anyone, did I, Danya? Oh no, Brian. No, I'm still here. Okay, hold on, guys. We're having a slight um, difficulty. Give us a second. All right, you guys can see me. So while Brian is trying to get back on, because I don't know what's going on with this stuff, but let me text him real quick and um, hopefully he'll be able to. There he is. Hold on one second. We're having just a slight difficulty. Everything is just like shutting down for a sec. Hi. Hey. <laughs> um, really, really sorry, guys, for whatever reason. Um, well, as most of you know, Donnie and I live in completely different parts of the country. We're doing this online through wireless or yeah. hot or hotspots and it's proving a bit challenging today. today that's yes. what i told him today. i was like we're having some slight difficulties so yeah so <laughs> i so i apologize in advance and just please please bear with us so i really want to get stuck in and the first lineage society that i really would like to talk about is the jamestown society so the Jamestown Society, for those of you who, who don't know, um, celebrates the ancestors who were in Virginia at the time of the founding of Jamestown. And part of, you know, you have to go to these websites and really, really kind of look at who your qualifying ancestors would be. So qualifying ancestors for the Jamestown Society would be people like if your ancestor was a stakeholder in the London Company, and it was the London Company that got the Royal Charter to found Jamestown. So that's why they're kind of in that top bracket. A member of a guild who invested in the London Company, if your ancestor owned land in Jamestown or lived on the island before 1700, that's important. I don't know why the 1700 date is a cutoff date, but it's there. If your ancestor was a resident in Virginia at the time of the 1624 to 1625 muster, 
which is kind of like a, a census of the time, but they call it the 1624 and 1625 muster or earlier. That's important. If your ancestor served as a governor, secretary of state, treasurer, attorney general, clerk of the general court, council member, or a member of the House of Burgesses, and domiciled in Jamestown again before 1700. If your ancestor was an Anglican, Anglican minister in Virginia prior to 1700, or was a Native American interpreter before 1700. Um, now, the Jamestown Society has a list of qualifying members, but what's interesting is they are all European. My qualifying ancestors would actually be some of the, the, the 20 and odd Africans who arrived in 1619. So for me, I've got two groups of people that I know definitely I'm directly descended from. Uh, John Groen, who's also known as John Gowan. And if you're a Gowan, a Goins, or a Going, all part of the same family, you're going to find this talk very, very interesting. And his partner, Margaret Cornish. I can also apply underneath her. The other, the other person would be Emmanuel Cumbo, also known as, as Manuel Cambo. Uh, all of these people were resident in Jamestown or they were in Virginia during that qualifying period. Um, I don't know why they've been admitted. It's a conversation I would really, really like to have with the Jamestown uh, Society. And one thing that I would possibly suggest to them is there's an amazing, amazing organization called the 1619 uh, Project Organization. They've written books. Uh, they've compiled an enormous uh, amount of documents documenting those 20 and odd Africans. I don't think they've found all of them. They don't have names for all of them, but they have names for a goodly, a goodly amount of the people that arrived here in 1619. Uh, so again, those, those are people that, um, those are two groups, the 1619 Project in Jamestown, who really need to sit down, have a conversation. Because again, part of why I'm doing this isn't to kind of name and shame heritage society. It's, it's all about truly reflecting what was going on at America, in America at, it, at any given point in time. And there's really great benefits of actually belonging to these heritage societies. I mean, you get to meet people who are researching the same families that you are. You can find out about different sides of the family that you didn't know about. Um, it can also answer a lot of questions. There are going to be people who are bonded by a shared experience. So for this instance, you know, you're talking about people who settled and grew the, who grew Jamestown. Um, so, and again, apart from my Kumbus and my Goins. And we just those two. Oh, goodness. Am I, am okay. I yeah, you're back. <laughs> okay. okay. Just, just bear with. So some other quick names of uh, Africans who would be qualifying members would be a woman called Angela, who is also listed as Angelo. She was taken to William Piercy's uh, Jamestown property uh, very early on after arrival. Uh, there's a man called John Phillips who was in Jamestown in November 1624. His name appears in a court document. And there's also Going a man- in and out again, Brian. Okay. We both are.
What is going on today? Okay, I'm here. So while Brian is trying to come back, and here he is, give me a sec. Brian, Hi, I'm this is terrible today. Oh my God! So <laughs> let's 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 say hello to everybody. Let's let's get that out the way. Um, you there? And friend, possible cousin, Karen Bertram from Denmark. And then, oh, it's not showing up. And Joanne Grace is from is from Kansas City, Missouri. She said, and then the other thing that she said was that your Brian. Same thing, but for whatever reason, so you guys can hear, but for whatever reason, we continue to pause, and I'm, I'm not really sure why. Brian, are you back? I'm here. Okay, because you, you just paused on me again. <laughs> See, I'm paused <laughs> again. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on, but they said they can hear us when we're talking. Okay, that's good. Um, so... Two things that I'm, three things I just wanted to quickly go over. So kind of the point that I'm making in terms of African-Americans who were in Jamestown before 1700, there were a lot. We're talking hundreds at the very least. Um, because, there, you know, there was a goodly number who came over in 1619. They had kids, their kids were there, their children had children. So, you know, think between 1619 and 1700, that's a couple of generations. So there's going to be a lot of qualifying members there. The other ones are indentured servants. I didn't see that many indentured servants listed under the qualifying ancestors. And I know for a fact that I have at least two Irish ancestors and a Scottish ancestor who are indentured servants in Jamestown. But again, I didn't, I didn't see their names on that list. So some of the documents that the, 16th, that the Jamestown Society require. This is also a really good, um, it's really good to understand what these heritage and lineage societies are looking for, because a lot of it overlaps with what we call best practice in terms of genealogy research. It'll kind of give you a tick list of all the different documents that, as genealogists, we should ordinarily try to get for our ancestors wherever possible. So things like, I'm going to say primary records, birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates. So remember, it's all about getting from you back to the ancestor that you've identified that you want to apply under. So going to a certain point, should be able to get all three of those. Then perhaps as you go back earlier into the 1800s, it's going to become more and more challenging. Uh, you also have to know when your state or your county started issuing death certificates, marriage certificates, all that kind of stuff. If those three primary sources don't exist, the Jamestown Society will accept census records, 
there's a misspelling with your name and Donnie and I can tell you stories about how our ancestors' names have been butchered till the cows come home. <laughs> but they, they will accept census records, try to find obituaries in newspapers or some kind of an announcement about your ancestor. Um, so that could be birth announcements, marriage announcements, anything like that. Uh, contemporary Bible records. By contemporary, I mean both those that are in existence now. But think about family Bibles. I mean, some families have Bibles that have been in their family for hundreds of years. So, Brian, Brian, you broke up. So you kind of paused after census records. Okay. So uh, newspaper obituaries, Bible records. If your family has kept a family Bible and has meticulously noted births and deaths within that Bible, that's a good secondary source of information for the Jamestown Society. Also, wills. There are some caveats around the use of wills, but if you can prove that the person cited in a will or piece of probate is your ancestor, um, that's also a good documentation. They will only accept information from lineage books if it can be proven that the lineage books are well-sourced and well-researched. So any old lineage book isn't going to do um, a lot of us with Virginia ancestry are used to a book or knowledgeable about a book called Adventures of Person Person. That book is not admissible. Nothing in that book is admissible. They, what the Jamestown Society says is that book is a good indicator of genealogy, but it is not genealogical proof. What about so, town records? Did, did Virginia have stuff like town records? Because those are things that are accepted in some societies. Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. Um, yep, anything like parish records, if you know, baptism records, christening records, um, anything involving your ancestor that puts them in a family context within a parish record, that's good to go. Okay. That is admissible. So that kind of brings us up to speed with an organization like Jamestown Society. Other sources that would be good, but perhaps not admissible. If you use Google Books, and the URL for that is really easy. It's books.google.com. Easy. That repository has, I can't even tell you, such a wealth of information at the local and regional level. A lot of local historians over the centuries, a lot of local researchers, especially genealogical researchers, town historians have published books. And I found out a lot about my ancestors, even some of my enslaved ancestors, through those books. So it'll be up to Jamestown Society to determine whether or not they would actually use the information you get from that book. But in terms of your genealogy, especially for ancestors who lived in a really, really remote area, um, those books can, can be a gold mine of information. So that was me rambling on for a couple of minutes. I thought I would hand over to Donya, who's gonna who's gonna outline things that the daughters of the American Revolution um, would look for as part of their process. Okay. Well, um, the thing about the daughters is that they pretty much look for the same, all of the same things that you're talking about. What you had, everything that you pointed out, is the exact same way for most lineage societies. Um, you have to prove your connection to someone and you have to show um, how you got to that point. For Daughters of the American Revolution, you have to have 
the first three generations completely filled out. So what I mean by that is you have to be able to have a birth and death certificate, a birth and death of proof for the very first, the you know, the first three generations connecting to you. So that would be me, my parents, my grandparents. I have to have that because, and the reason why they do that is because that's information that you actually can get today. Those are records that are available in most instances. Now, after that, I mean, if you can, if you have info for your fourth or your fifth generation, definitely give it. But the, the goal is to show proof that this person is your parent, is your, is your ancestor through one of your parents. Um, Another thing about the daughters that they do that other companies don't is they actually um, accept DNA. Now, their DNA analysis is something totally different from it's not what you think. It's not like, oh, if I can prove that I am um, a Brooks, which I can, then I'm in. Unfortunately, I'm not in. Um, and I'm not in because. Although my D I have DNA that backs into Zachariah Brooks, I have to, it has to be a Y DNA analysis. Well, first and foremost, my ancestor that connects me to Zachariah is a female. That's number one. So I would have to have a male to do the testing. And the one thing about the Y DNA testing is that females don't have Y DNA. So I could never really prove my, my lineage to the Brooks line, which would then cancel me from being a daughter. Um, and unfortunately, right now, it's looking like that because I can also probably go in through the Settles line. Um, I can't go in through the Williams because John is an uncle, not my direct descendant. So I can't go in through the Williams line. Um, but I do, let me see, I know it's the Settles and it's the, it's the settles in the brooks for certain that I can go in through and for whatever reason, because of my DNA and it's not a Y DNA, I can't do it. But those are the ways to get into daughters. One of the things that I realize is that you don't find this information from people. They don't tell it to you readily. And so I was really glad that Brian wanted to do this type of um lineage, you know, this type of show so that we can actually tell those who are able to get into those societies how to get into them. And we want you guys questions. This is definitely a show where you have to, you know, you need to step up and you need to say something because this might be something you want to do. Because like he said, lineage societies will allow you to find other family members and find other family connections um, um, and help you clear and knock out a lot of brick walls. And that's where it holds back for black people. Because <laughs> we, we can't get into those groups if we don't have certain things or certain proof to, you know, start proving it. Well, I would say it's a challenge for both black people and, again, um, people who might have had poor or white European ancestors or illiterate, illiterate ancestors. So Donnie does bring up a good point. Jamestown Society does not accept DNA at all. And I'm gonna use a little, I'm gonna use a, a real world example for my own research. As I mentioned before, uh, 
No, I'm not going to use that one. I have a West ancestor, um, Ezekiel West. That was not a popular name in the West family. And for the longest time, I didn't know if he was one of my Wests that came out of Virginia and went into uh, the frontier of Kentucky. Because this, this particular West was um, what's called uh, a Native American trader. So I wasn't really entirely sure whether it was coming out of Virginia or if, whether he was one of my Quaker Wests, which yes, was coming out, of, coming out of Pennsylvania or where was the other place? Delaware or Maryland. But the name Ezekiel was really, really important because he, there were three generations of Ezekiels, but I had no idea who they related to uh, until I started seeing their middle names like Mendenhall and Bailey. And then that was it. That, that was the final missing puzzle piece. They were being named after quite very, very, um, I want to say famous, but well-known Quaker families coming out of Pennsylvania, uh, the lower part of Pennsylvania into Delaware and uh, New Jersey. But I couldn't find a paper trail to link him to those lines. But what I did do was start looking at all the Ezekiels within the Bailey family and the Mendenhall family and finally, finally found the couple that I think were his parents. Because in and amongst his children, um, there were names for his brothers and sisters. There were names for his mother and father. There were also names for his wife. Right. Did I cut out completely? Did I cut out completely? You, you cut out completely. I don't know what's going on. It just, it just kicked me out just now. So I just yeah. had to add myself back in. Can you hear me? See, I you're gone again. I don't, I don't know what's going on today. Can you hear me? So do anybody have any questions while we're holding out? Because I'm not sure what the problem is. I'm, I'm just not. See, Brian had to come out again. So Lisa says, I think I will find more records once I visit the area where my ancestors live. And you will. You will find records when you, that's, that's you know, that's not, there's no doubt in that one that you will find um, ancestors you find records where your ancestors came from. That's but the other thing is is that he's gone. I don't know how you can hear him, Deborah. He's not even on the screen. Um but Lisa, the other thing is is that you have those ancestors that you might not find records for and you have to go on a you know whole nother way. Wow. I think everything is kind of wow. This is crazy. I don't I don't know what's going on and I'm so sorry that this is happening like this. It's kind of Okay, do y'all see Brian? So what I'm thinking is, is that everything is kind of delayed for, for whatever reason. So you, cause you guys are sending messages delayed. Okay. Deborah says she can't see him now. Tiffany says she can't see him now. That's because he's not on and that's good. That means that I, I think it's somewhat delayed. So what I'm going to do, 
I'm waiting for him to get on, but until he gets back on, Joanne says, is there an application process? How do you get started? Um, yes, there is an application process. He knows more about he knows more about the the Jamestown. I can tell you about the daughters because I actually work at the daughters. And um and he's here. Hold on. Hey Brian, I'm answering, <laughs> I'm answering a question for Joanne. Joanne um Grace Pepper Farmer. She's she asked if there is an application process and how do you get started? Um I was gonna go ahead and answer because I, I don't know about Jamestown, I know about daughters. So mm -hmm. as, as far as the daughters are concerned, um, yes, there is an application process. And basically what you have to do is you have to research your family. So you're gonna do, say your lineage is someone with the last name Farmer born, born earlier than the American Revolution and have service in the American Revolution. That's the thing about the daughters. Anybody who um, wants to become a member, you have to have proof of service during the, the Revolutionary War. And um, so your person would have to, you'd have to have show proof of where he was, where he was born. You also have to show proof of what his service was. And that could be anything from like we stated before, town records, um, uh, service records, whether it's pension papers, things of that nature. You would have to prove all of that and you'd have to take that about your, let's say your your um, ancestor, his last, let's say his last name was Pepper and you have a Pepper in the American Revolution. You would have to prove from him all the way up to you, your lineage. And you have to do it. They have genealogists there. I'm one of them. Um, you do. You have verified genealogists, and then you have your data entry, your entry folks, and everything. Basically, you have to do all the work yourself. The verified genealogist will then go over what you've researched, and if they find something wrong in it or whatever, then they'll send you a letter letting you know. If they don't find anything wrong in it, then what they do is they then let you know that you have been approved, you get a certificate, and you move on from there. The, the daughters is a a service a service based membership, so you you you're gonna start getting involved in different um, community service type things. They definitely do that. They also focus on patriots, no matter what it is. So if it's, say you wanted to do something for the homeless, it would have to be homeless military. Or you want, you know, it's it's stuff like that. They they stay within the military and doing this stuff. They're probably one of the only lineage societies that are very open at trying to include all nationalities, whereas there are some that are just not, they just won't do it. Um, I'm not going to say that they were always like that, but they're like that now. And they still have a lot of work to do when it comes to um, being inclusive. But the fact that they're actually pushing towards it makes it just awesome. And I think it's I think it's great. Um, so then I guess as far as, uh, yeah, then Brian, you can answer the Jamestown 
Well, I was I was going to add to that that pretty much whatever society you want to join is going to have an application process. So you would need to go. Um, most of them are very very clear about what the application pro what's involved in that process. Uh, they're very very clear about how much it will cost to join. Yes. Yeah. Um, some do, but most most of them. Um, sorry, some don't have that information, but most of them actually do. Um, something else that uh, that Diane and I've also talked about is again with whether it's the DAR or the Sons of the American Revolution. Some of the information that they'll be looking for is whether someone else has filed under that ancestor. They will take a look to make sure that the the name matches up. So if all of a sudden you're applying for a John Edward Pepper, but the ancestor that they have on record is called John Pepper, that's going to have to be explained and clarified because it, it's not a like-for-like -like match. Right. They'll be looking for uh, birth dates. If you don't have the full birth date, is the year of birth the same? All of those little tiddly-tiddly little pieces mm -hmm. of information in your own mind, you should have a little tick list um, to make sure that everything that you have is uh, is as correct as the information, the sources that you're looking at are providing to you. Um, but that, right. th that's just some of the things that the, the society will be looking at. Um, I would probably say there's probably an 80% chance that most of us would be applying under, an, under a person who they already have a file on. Now, when it comes to the Jamestown Society, because they don't have anyone who isn't white, pretty much any non-white person you apply for is going to be a new qualifying ancestor for that organization. Yeah. That's right. Now, where I went dark, sorry about that, um, it's, it's the wireless thing. Well, they're just, saying that they heard you, Brian, the whole time. I didn't. Oh, they did. Oh, okay. So I, I won't... I, I won't... I won't... Go, <laughs> I won't go over back to the beginning, so I'll pick up where I left off about Ezekiel West. So I think I found his parents, but the clinch, what clinched it was the DNA. Um, my, ge my genetic genealogists, who are professional in academics over in England, um, did their tests, ran their, you know, ran their analysis, and they're like, yep, his mother, you know, he, you know, his mother was the Bailey, um, his paternal grandmother was the Mendenhall. That's where those middle names were coming from. And they nailed it. But the frustrating thing is that Jamestown would accept DNA. Um, so I wouldn't be able to apply under him. But for this instance, I, I wouldn't. Um, I will more than likely apply either under the Kumbos or the, the Goans. Um, either way, there's still two documents I need to find. Um, there's a gap of two documents, which isn't bad going considering these people lived in the 1600s, um, to be able to seal the deal and to have an uninterrupted paper trail from me all the way back to them. Well, that leads to a good question, you know, saying that you're going to do that because Lisa Wade asks which society lineage, um, lineage society is an easy process to join. In my well, opinion, no. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Oh, it looks as though Donnie is frozen. Uh, so I will I will carry on until she gets back. And again, our apologies for this. Um, Can you hear me, Brian? 
Oh, good, you're back. Okay, did you hear what I said? No, you froze. <laughs> okay. Um, I said, Lisa said, which society, which lineage society is an easy process to join? I answered none. Because they're, they're not easy. Specifically for African Americans, none of, they, these are not easy. Now, there is an African American lineage Okay, I'm back. <laughs> There's an African-American lineage society, but we haven't been able to really get too much information on them about the Middle Passage. So I don't know what it is that they need. So what do you think, Brian? Do you think that there's any society that's easy? I'm going to be egalitarian. I'm going to say that they're all difficult to apply, and I don't care what ethnicity you are. Um, because I kind of get where they're Can coming from. Can you guys from. hear him? I can hear me on my on my monitor. <laughs> um, I think that they're all going to be sticklers because of the their kind of whole purpose of of existing. You know, they, they need to have that documentation and oh, that that evidence. Me. No, I'm here. I'm here. Um, to have that to have that level I, of documentation. I, I, I'm hoping you guys can hear him because I can't, and it, I don't know what's going on. Okay, so y'all can still, now he's gone. He just got kicked out. And now he's back. <laughs> this is a terrible, I'm definitely going to let them know about this. This is crazy. Well, to be fair, I've, I have noticed a lot of complaints amongst the BeLive community. You um, have? So I, I think that there, there's some technical issues from their end. But I was agree basically I was agreeing with you, but I was saying I think it's a difficult process no matter who you are, no matter what ethnicity you come from. Um, again, uh, different set of, set of circumstances for, for people, of, people of color. But I would argue that it's worth persisting to do it um, in, its, in and as much as it will force people to find the documentation that they need. Um, and I don't want to say pressure, but to have a conversation about why DNA, whether it, and I think it should be a combination or at least a whether it's Y DNA, mitochondrial DNA, or autosomal DNA. Um, I think I appreciate that all of these, and just, you know, the genetic testing industry is still relatively new. They're still working out their kinks. People are still dubious about their reliability. But if CC Moore, if top-level genetic genealogists can prove people's genealogy through these autosomal tests, and that they actually form part television, whole TV shows are around this, lineage societies have to accept the fact that DNA is a use is a useful tool. Part of what I would argue from their point of view, um, playing the devil's advocate, there would be a cost, a good professional trained genetic genealogists ain't cheap. I'm lucky that I've got a whole team in England to do it because they're basically down the road, they're looking at doing a very special project, picking up the genetic threads of British colonials, British people who left Britain to come to the States during the colonial period to pick up those ancestral lines. That's part and parcel of... Yeah. That's part and parcel of the deal that I'm that I'm working out with them. 
challenges in Chile. I'm lucky that I've got a whole team in England to do it. Oh, sorry, that's and coming back. Basically, that's down the road, they're looking at doing a very special project, picking up the genetic threads of British colonials. Sorry, can you hear me, Donnie? Left Britain to come to the States during the colonial period to pick up those ancestral lines. Can't part and parcel of the cost. Can't part and parcel of the deal that I'm working on with that. Sorry, there was a real delay on that one that was feeding back into my feeding back into my, my monitor. Um, Brian, if you can hear me, um, I'm frozen. I can hear okay, I can hear you. So. I can um, see. I'm actually looking at you on Facebook. I can't like you're not doing anything on the on the thing. I don't know what's going on. Oh, no, and so of... you probably heard. I was listening to you through the Facebook Live watch um, oh, thing as, as opposed was... to on the B Live. It was feeding back to me. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Okay, but all I wanted to say about that. But they is... can hear you, so keep talking. Okay, so really, what I want to say is, I can appreciate that there would be. If people are supplying their DNA, one, lineage societies would have to have almost a repository of DNA. They would have to start sampling to be able to say, from this point on segment on chromosome two to this point on chromosome two is Holloway DNA. You know, and specifically, I don't know, William Holloway's DNA. That, you know, to be able to have that level of detail, to build up that kind of body of genetic evidence, um, that's a huge undertaking. That's teams and teams of people working on that, logging it, testing it, verifying it, reaching out to descendants of those people to provide their DNA, to be able to build that kind of database out, uh, to do that kind of gen uh, that segmentology, that, that real kind of uh, working with DNA. And that, you know, Perhaps for one application, that could actually cost a linear society, if not a couple of hundred dollars, at least a couple of thousand dollars to be able to do that. So I might appreciate that that's part, that that financial model is part and parcel of where they're coming from. But for me, if, you know, if I really, really wanted to do it, if I had to pay extra to supply my DNA for them to do it, to use it, to prove it, I'd do it. I would do it. I appreciate not everyone's coming from that perspective and not everyone's got that kind of money. Um, and I would invite the linear societies to look at it in scale um, to make it more affordable. But as I said, if, you know, if it was an option, if I want to submit my DNA and I've got to pay a couple of hundred dollars more to have that part of my application processed, I'll do it. I'll do it. So that's, that's, the, that's the other point that I wanted to make. So what are your thoughts on that? And I would invite the linear societies to look at it in scale to make it more affordable. But as I said, if it was an option, if I want to submit my DNA and I've got to pay a couple hundred dollars more to have that part of my application processed, I'll do it. I'll do it. So that's the other point that I wanted to make. Can you hear me, Brian? I can. So what are your thoughts on that? Can you hear me, Brian? I can. What do you, what do you think of that last point? I 
I don't even know if he can hear me. I know you guys can hear me. Brian, can you hear me? Okay, it's delayed. Can you hear me, Brian? I can. What do you think about last point? Right. Rather than keep you guys waiting, I'm going to get into the Sons of the American Revolution. So some of the qualifying things to become a member of the Sons of the American Revolution in terms of identifying an ancestor that you want to apply under, they will have... The SAR covers the period from the 19th of April, 1775 to, Can you hear me now? to the 26th of November, 1783. These are the different kinds of um, qualifying groups. Your ancestor could either be a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Sorry, Donia, can you turn the volume down? They will have... Guys, I'm guys, I'm I'm so sorry that this is happening. Um, we are really having technical difficulty. It is really breaking up really badly. Um, it's uh, Joanne. It's not that. It's just that for whatever reason, I am not hearing him. So I can't tell. And then when I put on, try to listen to it on here, it 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 puts out into the um onto the thing so i think what we're gonna do unfortunately is kind of like stop this show and try to figure out what's happening and what's going on um if you guys have any questions we may have to go over the lineage show again and then just try to do the lineage show one more time and um but i hope that we did at least give you some type of information as far as lineage lineage is concerned about the lineage societies um there are several you have the sons of the american revolution the daughters of the american revolution um you have the jamestown one that he was talking about you have the middle the sons and daughters of the u.s middle passage so there are depths it's a lot of them and we're going to try to get back into this particular um we're going to try to get back into this particular show another day so you guys have a great day and i'm so sorry that this happened and we'll we'll definitely like do this again and maybe even and definitely let you know what um the next show will be about i'm really sorry about this this programming today but thank you for listening in thank you for being um a part of the show and we will see you guys on the 18th of December. Bye.